museums can have fun with their objects. Let's tell a ghost story. That'd be fun. An object can be unassuming, quiet, unnoticeable. But when you hear the story behind it, that object changes. It becomes a thing. And after that, you can't help but pay attention. In today's episode, we will hear about such things. A stair rail from a haunted hotel, an exorcism-proof doll, and a military mystery that led to a freaky fire station. Just in time for Halloween, you have arrived. Welcome to Intangible Alberta. Working in a museum, sometimes you receive strange requests. Like when assistant curator Lucy Hines was asked by a doll's former owner to give it back. Sometimes people miss the objects they've given up. That's understandable. But when Lucy learned why they had given up the doll to the museum in the first place, well, she couldn't understand. Why on earth would you want back a haunted doll? My name is Lucy Hines. I am the assistant curator for the Western Canadian History Program at the Royal Alberta Museum. It all began with a phone call. It was your regular Monday morning. I was uh, just reviewing the tasks for the day and for the week. And the caller at the other end of the line was actually requesting the return of a doll that was in the museum's collection. It had actually been donated 30 years ago in 1989. So she went to tell me that her father, and we'll just call him Mr. Smith, had recently passed away. And of course, her mother, Mrs. Smith, was grieving and um, wanted the doll back. You see, Mr. Smith had bought the doll for his wife as a, a wedding gift. And in fact, it was a doll popular during the 1920s and the 1930s called a boudoir doll. It was not a doll that was uh, purchased for a child. Boudoir is a French word, and it refers to a woman's private space. And often it would be next to her bedroom or within a larger bedroom where there would be a lounge chair and, you know, tables and that sort of thing. One of the, the special attributes of the, the boudoir doll and how you recognize such a doll is the fact that it has long, thin legs and arms and tiny little feet and tiny little hands and really exaggerated coloring in the sort of the eyes. They're, they're very quite expressive as dolls. I got the, the feeling that when she made the call, her mother was probably present in the room. But I got the feeling like this wasn't something that the daughter wanted to do. But I didn't know at that time why. So, of course, I explained to the caller that uh, it really was not museum practice to return artifacts. But understanding that the daughter and the mother were you know, obviously grieving, I had suggested that I could provide them with a photograph of the doll so that they could see that the doll, you know, was being cared for. She was still in very good condition and and hoped that 
you know, that would suffice. So, of course, I, I went into our files to get more information about this doll. And little did I know that there lurked a dark secret amidst these unassuming administrative forms in the file folder. So what I discovered was that the doll was purchased at an antique store in B.C., and it would have been in the early 1970s prior to Mr. and Mrs. Smith's wedding. And the antique shop owner apparently had acquired the doll in Holland on a a buying trip. And he had told Mr. Smith that the doll was made in the late 1700s. So, of course, Mr. Smith thought, you know, that he was getting a good deal and this would have been a very special doll. So he purchased the doll. So not long after receiving the doll, Mrs. Smith and Mr. Smith started to witness some strange things happening. The doll would upset friends and relatives when um, they would come to visit the home. And to quote uh, Mr. Smith, people refused to be in the house with it. So about two years after purchasing the doll, a minister happened to be visiting with the Smith and gravely stated that the doll needed to be exorcised. They must have discussed the fact that there were some strange things happening in the home and when, you know, people would come to visit. And so upon the recommendations of Father Matthews, he did perform an exorcism on the unassuming doll. Unfortunately, this proved unsuccessful. The doll continued to create problems in the home. And so they decided to put it away in a storage locker where it remained for approximately 15 years until they decided that they would donate it to the Royal Alberta Museum. Mr. Smith placed a a condition that the doll should never leave the province of Alberta. I think he was afraid that the doll would continue to haunt them should it return to a museum in British Columbia. The daughter simply said um, she would get back to me um, regarding that, and, and I never received a call back. The doll remains in our storage, in our collection to this day. I know that there were um, some um, volunteers or contractors that had been working, doing inventory in that room. They would go in to work in the morning and sometimes they felt like something had been moved or something was not quite right or they heard a noise that was not usual. But I personally have not witnessed anything that I would associate with this doll. And I'm not one to be superstitious or believe in these types of things, but maybe there is a world of the unexplained. Picture this, a romantic hotel nestled in the Rocky Mountains. A beautiful bride descends a grand staircase. Then her dress catches fire and she falls to her doom. What happens to the bride? She becomes a ghost, of course. But what happens to the staircase? Curator Julia Petrov will tell us. 
So my name is Julia Petrov, and I'm the curator of Western Canadian history at the Royal Alberta Museum. I want to share a recent acquisition, which is a little bit of a spooky story, or is it, uh, about a railing that came out of the Banff Springs Hotel, which obviously is very iconic. So we were contacted by this woman who was a scrap metal dealer, and she said, oh, I have a railing from the Banff Springs Hotel. It's one of the original railings. She said they had been invited after some renovations that had been done in the 80s where they were renovating an old uh, dormitory block and turning it into more hotel rooms. And so they were invited to just take some of the metal out and she noticed this railing out in the field and recognized it as one of the old ones from inside the fancier rooms of the, of the hotel. And then later she was told by a staff member that this was the railing off the haunted staircase. The story is that there was a bride who was staying at the hotel for her honeymoon, or possibly this was kind of during her wedding. She was coming down the stairs, and she caught her foot in the train of her gown and tumbled down the stairs and died. Or another version of this story is that she was coming down the stairs, and her train actually caught fire, and then she died because of that. And then because of this tragic, tragic story, they blocked off the stairway. They blocked off the room in which the bride and groom were supposed to be staying. And um, the bride haunts the hotel to this day. And so this is such a famous story. It's been written about in lots of ghost stories of Alberta or ghost stories of Canada uh, books. It's been featured on TV. It's so famous that the Royal Canadian Mint actually um, put out a coin. And the coin we also have in our collection, it's, it's cool. It's kind of a holographic thing where you tilt it and then uh, the bride opens her eyes or she closes her eyes. It's uh, super creepy. Um, so it's a really famous story. And uh, it was really nice to have this physical thing that connected us to this legend of the Banff Springs Hotel, which is very gothic. It looks like a castle and, and you would expect it to have ghosts or, you know, maybe the suits of armor would come to life or something. So it's nice to, to have a piece of that. And it looks like the story started being published in the late 70s or early 80s. And then I thought, okay, well, I'm going to take a look and see, first of all, which staircase this railing may have come from. So it probably came out of the room where they serve the Sunday brunch. So it's a dining room. The retired staff of the hotel remember there being a blocked off staircase in the middle of this dining room, which they always found really creepy. If this was the staircase that was eventually ripped out, because it's certainly not there anymore, it would have had this original railing that has this beautiful kind of leaf design on it. So I think that's it. And that's probably where some of these stories come from, that there is this weird blocked off staircase because they were doing some renovations in terms of figuring out the flow of the hotel. And some people found it creepy because it is creepy to have a staircase that goes nowhere. And then I thought, okay, well, I'm going to also look at the news articles to see if anybody actually died at the hotel. I couldn't find anything like that other than there was a story about a woman who did fall down the stairs in Banff, but it wasn't at the hotel. It was at uh, the canyon. So um, she was leaning on a railing. The railing gave way and she fell. But she wasn't killed. She was just injured. Um, so that may have been um, 
part of the, the legend, again, being associated with that. But the most interesting thing I found was there was an article about a tour guide in the area. And in 1922, his name was Nifty. And he was composing a story about a ghost, about a woman who supposedly slipped on the rocks while she was um, at Lake Agnes. And she died. And now she haunts the Chateau Lake Louise. So it's possible that all these things kind of come together. So there's this, this creepy abandoned staircase. There are a number of ghost stories associated with the area. And it's also pretty typical to have ghost stories about manifestations of brides because generally ghosts are seen as kind of white and filmy looking and um, who else is white and sort of transparent. Well, it's a bride wearing a veil. Um, sometimes it's because it's, it's the moonlight. Sometimes it's maybe because it's real. Who knows? In the 80s, there was this big influx of tourists coming into Banff as well. And uh, this was a way to draw people in and say, hey, look, we've got this ghost story. I think it gives it history. Obviously, if people have lived, that's one thing. But if people have lived and died, that suggests a generation already. And a ghost in our popular imagination is the spirit of someone who has maybe unfinished business. It's an ongoing story, and it gives us that real connection to something that happened in the past. It's an event that is unresolved, and we're brought into it because the ghost is maybe asking for help or is continuing to live out that event over and over again and asking us to, to be witness to that. It gives people that connection to a past that maybe they wouldn't otherwise have had. I think for museum people, it's easy enough to connect to places or to objects, but to most people, it might not be that easy. And a ghost is a, is a person, and it's much easier to connect to a person, someone whose life was cut short tragically, and we can really empathize with that. We want to help them. We, we feel for them. So uh, having a ghost in your building makes you feel like you're part of something bigger and, and part of a history. Uh, but it's also kind of fun. I mean, even uh, when we joke about having ghosts uh, in the building, you know, when we hear sounds or, or see movements or whatever that we can't quite explain, we, we like to kind of think that we're not alone, that there's, there's other people, maybe previous, I don't know, museum employees or something, who are trying to help us out or continuing on their work. Um, so it makes us feel less lonely, too. And uh, that's, that's really cool. Next, Anthony Warman tries to track down an unknown soldier. But as he'll explain, sometimes a mystery doesn't begin with a ghost, it ends with one. My name is Anthony Warman. I am the acting director of Collection Services. At the time that we were looking at this object that we're going to talk about today, I was the curator of military and political history. So this is a uh, 1903 Canadian Pattern Service dress tunic. So it's a First World War tunic. It was the one that when we also hear stories of the ill-fitting uniforms that didn't survive the rigors of the First World War, trench warfare, uh, that's the one they're talking about. We generally don't know any history about the object. We don't know any provenance. We don't know who the owners were. So we started to read this object. We opened it up and we looked at it and on the inside of a lot of these tunics, there's usually a label and men would write their names on it, write their names, regimental number. So when that thing went to the laundry, you knew who to send it back to. So we looked at this label and it has the man's name, but it's illegible. 
It also has his regimental number, of which we can only see part of it. What if we could get that name? If we could get the name, we could get the number, the full number, we'll find out who he is. So I approached conservation, our conservation department here at the museum, and asked if they could help me. Carmen Lee, who's uh, our head of conservation, she thought that yes, we could probably find this number and they were gonna figure out that they could use infrared photography to do this. They enlisted the help of the RCMP forensic lab, brought them in, they learned how to do this stuff. They did their investigation on it. They were able to do their photography and we were able to find out the name and the number so that we could figure out who this guy is. So we get a full number. So his re this regimental number is 2663604. We also found a name, J-A-S-H Smith. Uh, lucky me, we've got this mystery tunic that we don't know who he is and the guy's last name is Smith. Well, there wasn't much to do at this point in time other than just start looking at records. So finally, it's about six months of time now that we've been searching for this guy. There was a name and it was Jacob Stiles Hart Smith. Okay, that seems promising. Well, take a chance. What are you going to do, right? So you took a chance, opened it up, and that is our guy. So now we found our guy. We found our mystery. We found, there he is. In fact, he's a fireman in Edmonton. This tunic belong to Jacob Stiles Hart Smith, Jacob Smith. Then after that, it's what do we know about Jacob Smith? What can we find? Well, Jacob, he, he's a bit of a mystery again. He is born either in 1889, 1891, or 1893. Depends on if you look at the census, if you look on his conscription papers, or you look at his obituary. So he was born in one of three years. We know that he was born in Nova Scotia. We know that he is in Edmonton working as a carpenter in 1912. By 1913, he's working as an electrician with the Edmonton Fire Department. He changes in 1929, where he goes from a, a fireman to a lieutenant and then to a captain. So he was a very well-liked, uh, well-known individual in, in Edmonton Fire Department. In 1954, uh, he is working over at the old number four fire hall, and that one is the one that is on 142nd Street and in between uh, 106th and 105th Ave. And he dies of a heart attack in the fire hall. As I'm doing research on Jacob, uh, his name popped up, associated to the book Ghost Stories of Alberta. Now, take the book for what it is. Uh, it's the kind of book that you find at the, the gas station on the kiosk, and it's good for some uh, humorous, good reading, interesting reading. But Jake Smith appears in it. So now how cool is this? So now we've got a tunic that started out as a mystery where it looks like it's ending up with a ghost. So as, it, as the story goes, so there's three incidents, known incidences where Jake Smith is a ghost and they all happen at number four fire hall. He died there of a heart attack and they all happened to one guy who we know as Joe, but he had three encounters with Jake Smith. First off, so he's in, the, he's in the fire hall, and he's on night guard, night duty, and everybody else is sleeping, and suddenly the garage door goes up without an alarm, with nothing. The door just goes right up. There's nobody there. Second instance, he has gone into the bunk room to check on people who are sleeping there, and so he's looking, and everybody is sleeping, and as he's standing there, the door on the far end of the room opens. Someone comes in and then it closes. Okay. 
And the third instance that we know of, it was a, a summer afternoon, and all the men from the fire station are outside. So Joe knows that everybody is outside, and Joe has gone back inside to the station, and he clearly hears a man's voice talking inside the building. But there's no one in there. He goes and he talks, I believe, to his captain about this, and it's believed, yeah, there's this idea that it is Jake Smith, and Jake is described as a hard-living, hard-drinking, hard-playing, well-liked, well-loved firefighter who died in number four fire hall. I drove by this fire hall every day. That was on my route to go to work, so I've seen it. They did renovations, and it's changed slightly from when it was a fire hall, but yeah, I know where it is. Now you drive by and go, huh, is that really the door going up for an emergency? Or is it just Jake Smith? We get into this industry as a curator or as a person who's in a museum because we're curious, like everyone else. You want to know who this person was. You want that connection to this individual. Objects represent memory. They represent people. They are the lasting memory of a person, especially after they're gone. You're bringing back history. Suddenly that object becomes alive again. Now this object is a memory of Jake Smith. Now we've got this exciting story we can tell. So we got a ghost story about this guy, and that is really, really sort of fitting end to our tunic that begins as a mystery and ends as a ghost. We've heard three stories from people who sought to uncover what hides in history's shadow. In your basement, in your attic, think twice about that old unassuming thing you've cast aside. What story does it tell? And do you really want to know? Thanks again to Lucy, Julia, and Anthony. Our music today was by Purple Planet Music. On our next episode, we search for the magic of Christmas morning through vintage toy collecting. So be sure to subscribe and follow the Royal Alberta Museum on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You are now leaving intangible Alberta. Sleep tight. <laughs>